Welcome to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm your host, Sid Evans. And for this episode, I sat down with multi-platinum country star Thomas Rhett and his wife, Lauren Aikens, at their farm just outside of Nashville. We talked a lot about college football and how this duo has managed to stay married for more than 10 years, despite rooting for some very different teams. Thomas Rhett grew up in Valdosta, Georgia, where his father and grandfather primed him to be a Bulldogs superfan. Meanwhile, his wife, Lauren, bleeds the orange of the Tennessee Volunteers, where she went to nursing school. We talked about the deep roots of their fandom, some of their game day traditions, and the very hot topic of which team their kids are going to root for. All that and their favorite tailgate recipe on this week's Biscuits and Jam. Thomas Rhett and Lauren Akins, welcome to Biscuits and Jam. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. So I've got to start out by asking y'all a little bit about the place where we're sitting. This is actually the first podcast that I've ever done live and in person. Wow. Wow. I know. Because you started in 2020, right? It, we it did. all on Zoom, yeah. So tell me a little bit about this place and what it means to y'all. Man, this is kind of our little slice of paradise Really close to Nashville. Me and my dad bought this place together in 2016. I remember we came out here both knowing we could not afford this place. And so we came out here and they told us what the price was. And we we're like, yeah, thank y'all for letting us tour it. We're just dreaming. If you ever come down on the price, you know, holler at us. And three or four months later, I think it was still on the market. And they called us and said, what would y'all offer us? I remember we made an offer and they took it. That was 2016. And it's kind of like an ever-growing project. I mean, you come out here today and there's a bunch of horse fences and clearing of trees. And Lauren has gotten into the horse game and I have followed alongside. <laughs> and we're about to get a bunch of horses out here. And hopefully this is a place we spend a lot more time at with our families and doing more holidays out here. But this is our slice of heaven outside of Nashville. So. For sure. I mean, we've had family and friends get married out here. We spend anniversaries. This mm-hmm. is where we did Valentine's. It's so easy to pop in. You can just come and stay a night. I mean, my parents stay out here. His parents, his brother's like, hey, can I go fish out at the farm? And if you need to pop into town, you can drive, you know, 20 to 30 minutes somewhere. But if you want to feel like you were totally off the the grid. In the off the grid. Yeah. Yeah, It's our little getaway. Yeah. Well, when I drove in here today, there's a little pond right out behind us, and there were fish jumping like yeah. crazy yeah. <laughs> in that pond. So, Yeah, we love it, man. I remember when we first got this place, the pond was as blue as the sky. I think the previous owners put a bunch of, like, dye. Like, you can dye a pond to make it look pristine. And I remember we came out here. You could see every fish in the daggum pond. It was beautiful. And me and Dad were like, we got to dirty it up. I think there's like 20 fake trees that sit in the bottom of the pond mm. just for structure. And then we just kind of let the dye go. And now the fish kind of have habitat. And the bass are up. Yeah. My little brother said they're up to three or four pounds the other day when he came out here. So, Yeah. There's bass and bluegill. And used to have giant catfish in there. We have a bad otter problem. Oh. The otter just swiped all of our catfish. So we we are catfishless. Yeah, they got some good dinner. Here, so, Well, I like your odds of casting a line in there and catching yeah. something. So speaking of dinner, I always talk about food a little bit on this podcast. And I want to ask you both if you can tell me about one cook who really kind of stands out in your family. Lauren, let me start with you. Mm. You can say me. 
<laughs> if you feel like you need to. Can I pick a tie? <laughs> of course. Okay. Both of my grandmothers, I mean, when I think of home-cooked anything or even holidays and the nostalgia that goes along with what you fix for holidays or birthdays or game days or whatever you're celebrating, I think especially in the South, food is such a huge part of that. And a home-cooked meal is just everything. My memories of all those special days, is it just smells like they've cooked a full spread every time you would walk into their home. And so many of my recipes come from them. And the home that we live in now is just designed around our kitchen. Everybody tends to gather in the kitchen. I feel like it truly is the heart of the house. And we even designed that after our grandmothers because they have played such a huge role in our life just as important people, but especially when making a home a home. I think food just goes hand in hand with that. And my grandmothers, both of them, were so good at loving people well through their cooking and bringing families together. And nobody makes it like your grandmother does. Mm -hmm. What are their names? Mimi is my mom's mom and Kitty Kate was my dad's mom. And she passed away in 2020. My siblings and cousins are very, very close. We're very close to Kitty Kate and still so close to Mimi. And that generation is just so special. And, you know, they're not super young anymore. Every moment I have with her is just a treat. Mm. Thomas Rhett, what about you? I would say both my grandmothers as well. My mom's dad, my papaw, his wife, we call her Mamaw. They're both from North Louisiana. And if I had to pick one dish from each person, my Mamaw's gumbo is just kind of the benchmark. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I've been on the road several times, even down in Louisiana, and catering's making gumbo. And if it doesn't taste like Mamaw's, <laughs> it ain't happening. But my dad's mom, we call her Mammy. Her name is Pam. Two dishes that stand out in my mind of hers are her dressing that she makes on Thanksgiving and Christmas, and then her chicken and dumplings. And those are the benchmark as well. But I say my papaw because I love to grill. I love to smoke meat, whether it's ribs or steak or pork belly or whatever it is. And I used to just hover over papaw growing up. He was a chemical engineer, but also knew how to weld. So I remember he made his own smoker out of an old gas wow. tank. But watching him grill the hamburger to perfection take the buns, do equal parts, mayonnaise, mustard, lettuce, pickle. <laughs> Every time he would make a burger, it would just look like the cover of a daggum magazine. And when he'd bite into it, I'd be like, God, even if it's not good, you make me believe that that burger is the best thing that ever happened. He's getting pretty old. And, and now it's funny how the tables turn when it comes to cooking for holidays. We had Easter at our house the other day, and I'm the one doing the meat now. It used to always be Papa doing it. And I did a big old beef tenderloin, and I was just watching Papaw take his first bite because I was like, he has to like this. The torch has to be passed. Some of my most vivid childhood memories are my grandparents as a whole just cooking for holidays, or my mammy down in South Georgia would make us tomato sandwiches for lunch. Mm -hmm. Bunny white bread, yeah, <laughs> homegrown tomatoes with too much salt and pepper and mayonnaise. That's kind of what I go back to as a kid, but Southern grandmama and granddaddy cooking, yeah. kind of where I go in my head. My grandmother was mammal. Yeah. There's a lot of mammals. In yeah, the a lot South. of mammals. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so y'all been married since you were about 22. Mm -hmm. What were some of the first things that y'all cooked for each other? 
frozen pizza. <laughs> we had our fair share of six packs and, and frozen pizzas at 22. We also had zero dollars in our bank yeah, account. Yeah, so. and we lived across the street from a grocery, so we would just walk over to the grocery and be like, what do you want to try to fix tonight? Yeah, but I do remember the year we got married, at least for Thanksgiving and Christmas, you would make the spicy mac and cheese, the three cheese, macaroni and cheese. And I remember she bought me a green egg our first year of marriage, and I tried to do the turkey on that thing our first year of marriage, and it I don't think anybody ate it. It, was, it turned out bad. <laughs> Take some practice with that. It wasn't really till COVID that I think her and I both started to really dive into cooking like hardcore. Yeah, because everything just slowed down and we had the time. But I feel like before COVID, everything was just so busy. And I was on tour with him. And so we were hardly ever home. Yeah. And once that happened, baby number three came along. And so then I was kind of at home pretty consistently at that point. And that's really when I felt like it was more important for us to cook. And just that family time that comes along with it is special, too. A lot of people got better at cooking during that pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> I want to turn to a more complicated subject yeah. in your house, and that's football. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, Lauren, I got to start with the Tennessee fan. Tell me what drew you to Knoxville for college. I am born and raised fifth-generation Nashvilleian. I think <laughs> it's just different in the South. It's like in the roots of my family. And my mom actually is from Texas, but she's the big football fan in our family and really taught me to love football. But once she moved to Nashville, when her and my dad got married, she was really the one that instilled that in me. But when you're growing up in Nashville— I would watch the Cowboys with her and with my granddaddy, but when it came to college, everyone bleeds orange around here for the most part. I mean, we've got some transplants now, but it's pretty through and through Tennessee. I grew up just following the team, and Knoxville is about two and a half hours away from Nashville, and I had my two cousins both of them older than me, but my oldest cousin, she went there first, and so I remember... One weekend, she was like, do you and her younger sister, do y'all want to come up and spend a weekend with me? And so we went up, and she was in the sorority dorms then. And so she just kind of showed us around, and the passion took over. I knew I loved football, and I knew that I loved Tennessee, and I was proud of where I was from. But when you walk onto that campus and you step foot in Neyland Stadium, there's not a feeling in the world like it. And Thomas Wright will agree, even though he might not want to, but it is a different feeling when you go into Neyland Stadium. And with coming from a family that loves football so much, I knew I had to go to a school with the football team. Philip Fulmer was the coach at the time Yeah. when I was making decisions, and he's legendary and is close enough to home. I could come back if I needed to, but I was far enough away. I felt like I could spread my wings. My best friend got in as well, Lindsay. We toured some other schools but there was not a question in my mind. As long as I got accepted to the University of Tennessee, that is where I was going. The tides kind of turned my freshman year in football for Tennessee. But, you know. You got to believe. We made it through the drought <laughs> and we are coming up. <laughs> but it was never a question in my mind. And it was some of the best years of my life being in Knoxville. What about traditions while you were there in terms of game days? What were some of your favorite traditions around that? It's just electric on campus. 
everywhere you go, even if you've never met each other before, you're best friends on game day and everybody's walking around, doing the chants, singing songs all over campus. And I had friends in college whose parents would come up every weekend and set up a tailgate. So we would always go to their tailgates and, you know, they would make certain things, food staples, drink staples, playing cornhole, the vol walk, and just the tradition of Tennessee is so strong and it's so cool to get to be a part of something that has so much history. And even if your team isn't doing as good as you would like for them to, it doesn't matter. At that point, everybody's bleeding orange. He went to a college that was not a huge football college. So he would come up, Thomas Rhett, and spend the weekend with us. And even if you didn't grow up loving Tennessee, you can't help but get on board and want to be buddies with everybody in pool for Tennessee. And we're trying to show that to our girls, probably more so me than him. But we're trying to show our girls that now. But we got to take our girls to a couple of games this year and just bringing them to the tailgates and them hearing the chants and the songs and everybody's marching down, singing the same thing, screaming the same thing and getting fired up and then watching the ball walk. And then my brother-in-law, who was on the team for four years, getting to show our daughters his world in that and talk about the traditions. It's really special. And it's so cool to get to hand that down to my girls now. And we'll see what they choose to do with their life. But I hope that out of the four, maybe one of them will want to go back and I can relive some of the glory days. There's some lobbying going on, (laughs) even at this young age. Yeah. It's really sad. (laughs) So, Thomas Rhett, you were born in Valdosta, Georgia, and your dad, Rhett Aikens, played football for Georgia, I think, for a year. For a year, Uh uh-huh. Tell me a little bit about your dad's connection to the school and the influence that he had on you. I will say that I feel like I've been robbed of being a Georgia fan for 10 years because I just don't have any Georgia buddies here. It's just me and dad, you know. And so I've definitely been to more Tennessee football games than I have Georgia in the last 10 years. Lauren bought season tickets to the Vols last year, and I'm just like... You're committed now. We, we, we (laughs) bought season tickets. Yeah, we bought season tickets. I was born in Valdosta in 1990. My dad was starting quarterback at this high school called Lowndes High School down in Valdosta. And, you know, Valdosta, they call it Titletown USA. They've won more state championships than really any other schools in America between Lowndes and Valdosta. And so dad grew up in a football town. I can't remember if he was a preferred walk-on or if he actually got a scholarship to Georgia, but my dad's grandfather, his name is George LaHood, but he actually played football at Georgia in 1950, 51, maybe? Oh, this is your great-grandfather. My great-grandfather played Georgia there. And then once he got out, he actually became one of the top recruiters for Georgia. So Papa was invested mm-hmm. in the dogs. And so I'm sure that my dad was preached about the dogs since the day that he was born. And my mom and dad went to Georgia together. And then they had me super young. I think my mom was 19 when I was born. And my dad was playing music and trying to figure it out. So we moved to San Antonio, Texas. And my dad sang George Strait covers at this place called Fiesta, Texas for a year until he was discovered by some talent agency. And we moved to Nashville when I was two and a half years old. But growing up in Nashville with a dad that bled red, the right color. You know what I'm saying? I just grew up engulfed in it. Dad would always take me down to Athens when they were playing whoever. We'd go watch a fun rival. I remember us going down to Baton Rouge when I was little to watch LSU play Georgia with my dad. And 
Even when me and Lauren were kind of dating in high school, I remember Dad took me and Lauren to Knoxville to watch the Tennessee-Georgia game. And so I've always kind of had to tolerate the Vols. I'm a diehard Georgia fan. I tried to get into Georgia, man. It was my first choice. I remember writing my paper and getting a rejection letter as fast as you've ever seen a rejection letter come in the mail. (laughs) And so at that point, I was kind of like, well, I guess I'll try to go to Tennessee. That's where all my friends are going. Got denied from Tennessee. I'm not a good test taker. I didn't do well on the ACT. And then my third choice was to go to Auburn, and then I got rejected from Auburn. (laughs) The only school that I got into was Alabama, and I was just like, again, no offense. I can't do it. (laughs) But I can't do it. It's against my religion to go to Alabama. And so I ended up going to a small school in Nashville called Lipscomb University, and it turns out that was always kind of God's plan for my life. I think if I had gone out of Nashville, I don't know that I'd be doing what I'm doing now. I probably would have majored in something different, or I would have played college bars or something somewhere else. Music would have followed me, I think, but... Every time fall comes around, it really is my favorite time of the year. I get goosebumps thinking about September rolling around and getting to watch the balls play their first game and the dogs play their first game. And we take it seriously is not the word, but we make big deals out of football season. So we root for the Titans. I'll root for the Falcons every now and then, but college football is our thing. That's your jam. So, yeah. so Thomas Rhett, in some ways, you have a stressful job. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of concerts, a lot of touring. Yeah. A lot of people to manage, challenging schedule, logistics. But watching a football game can be a very stressful thing. It can, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you have a rare window when you have some time to yourself. Is it relaxing to you to sit down and watch a football game? We're always touring during football season. There's definitely been nights that I can vividly remember where Georgia was playing whoever it was. And it's halftime. And you kind of go, dang, I go on stage in 15 minutes. You kind of are at this crossroads of just like, do I push the show 10 minutes just to see what happens? <laughs> Everybody that I've ever brought on the road, too, is diehard football. I remember we ended our tour last year in Columbus, Ohio, a town that probably doesn't care if the Vols are winning or losing. But I'll never forget my buddy Connor Smith, who opened up for us last year. It was Tennessee versus Alabama this past year. And I remember... There was two minutes left in the football game, and Connor had to go on stage. And every time a song would end, he'd go back to the drum riser to check his phone. <laughs> and I'll never forget, when was it Alabama missed a field goal? Is that right? Or how did Tennessee win that game? They did. They missed one. Yeah. But I remember, because I was watching Connor play that show, and I was giving him updates from the side of the stage while I was playing this show. And I think someone in his band was like, Tennessee just won, Tennessee just won. And in Columbus, Ohio, he literally stopped the song. Yeah. And he goes, the Vols just beat Alabama. (laughs) And he starts singing Rocky Top in Columbus, Ohio, town where people were like, what is happening? But that's how, like, serious it can be. So, yeah, watching games on the road can be stressful. And if the dogs lose right before you go on stage, it can kind of set you back a little bit. But I love getting to watch games on the road. There's always so many football fans out there. We always set up a big TV out in the parking lot and – We all cook wings or order Chick-fil-A or something like that and sit and watch the games, but it's such a blast. Best game you ever saw in Athens? Probably this past year when they beat Tennessee 45 to 10. Oh, boy, I shouldn't have brought that up. Is that right? (laughs) I might have gotten the score incorrect. It might have been 55 to 10, but yeah, that was a great one. That was a fun one to watch. Lauren, what about you? Best game in Knoxville ever? Oh, I mean, this past year when we beat Alabama and I had our oldest with us, we rushed the field. We were like one of the first ones on the field. I've got a scar to prove it on my knee. 
I've got a picture blown up of her on Tyler's shoulders, my brother-in-law, who was on the team for four years. He's got tears in his eyes. I mean, grown men weeping (laughs) on the field and just cigars everywhere and the goalposts coming down. It was like nothing I will ever experience again. It was one of the coolest moments of my life behind marrying you and having children. Uh, yeah, thank you, Bert. Thanks for that. <laughs> Do I rank third in that? That's or? up there. <laughs> yeah. After the break, I'll talk more with Thomas Rhett and Lauren Aikens about their tailgating traditions, their careers, and their deep ties to college football. Welcome back to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, and today I'm talking with country star Thomas Rhett and his wife, Lauren Akins. So in terms of tailgate traditions, when y'all do have a rare weekend home during football season, Mm -hmm. you have friends come over, what do y'all like to do? We don't do anything small. When we take a beach trip, there's 26 of us. Well, our family is big. There's a new baby every year. We're growing. We take a ski trip every year. There's all 26 of us. And it's kind of the same for game day, especially when I'm in town. They do stuff without me all the time. But when I'm in town, it, I didn't mean that to sound bad. I mean, but, not because we want to. Yeah, it's just life doesn't stop when I'm not there is what I'm trying to say. But when I am home, I usually get, you know, seven or eight racks of ribs or I'll smoke a brisket. One of my favorite features in my house is our kegerator that we got to put in. So mm-hmm. we'll get a fresh keg of like Shinerbach or something and TV's on all over the place and Girls are running around like crazy, and the guys are trying their best to watch the game in between changing diapers and feeding bottles. That's kind of what it looks like these days. <laughs> yeah, it does. But it's so fun. And our girls can follow it a little bit now. Yeah. You know, they call it flitball. Ada James like, I don't want to watch flitball. <laughs> <laughs> Willa Gray is into it, though. She loves it. She's like, yes, Tennessee is winning. Tennessee is winning. <laughs> She's really started to love it, and that girl looks good in orange, just going to say. But every now and then, they'll put on a red cheerleading outfit, and it it's makes cute. my life. It's cute. <laughs> I've heard y'all are into Frito pie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Is that true? I mean, I grew up eating Frito pies, and, and I did a sponsorship deal with Fritos last year, and I think I ate five of them the day that we shot that commercial. I mean, I couldn't stop. They do <laughs> spicy Fritos and put Tabasco on the top of it. Son. That's good. Need some gym time after that. Needed a lot of gym time. That's right. (laughs) Lauren, I want to ask you about your time at Tennessee when it came to school and actually getting an education, and you were in nursing. That's right. Tell me some things that you took away from that experience that have stayed with you. It taught me work ethic, which is really hard at a big school like Tennessee. Growing up, I was pretty studious. I was... She was smart. Pretty responsible. But the environment I was talking about earlier, you've got that just pulling you to want to be a part of the fun and the electricity and what's going on. It was really hard to find that balance. College is the first time for a lot of people that you're away from mom and dad and you don't have somebody saying you really should get to bed. I learned pretty quickly that it was not going to come as easily as I feel like high school studying did. But it was something that was very important to me. And I also just wanted to be respectful. My parents sent me to school, which is such a gift. But I also wanted to be respectful of them and not just throw away my education as easy as that probably would have been. 
I wanted it to. And so nursing school was very hard for me. It's hard, period. It's very hard. I have not had this totally confirmed, but I am 95% sure I was the lowest GPA that they accepted into the nursing school. And when I was applying at the time, you didn't get in as a freshman. You went to school for two years and then you applied and you could get in as a junior. So you take your courses leading up to nursing school, but then there were some girls and guys that would apply that have been at Tennessee for two years and that had to either switch majors or schools if you didn't get into the nursing school. And it wasn't even that low of a GPA, but it's just a very competitive program. And I do think they prepare the students really well. I prayed so hard. I was like, Lord, please don't take me from Knoxville. (laughs) I know that I want to be a nurse and it's so important to me, but I don't think I can take it if I have to leave. And I must have just rocked my interview portion because it was not my GPA that got me in. And it was really hard. It was very hard (laughs) for me. But once I got out of school, we were getting married in October. So I actually ended up having to retake a class in the summer right after pharmacology kicked my butt. I that. And you get one retake. And so that was my retake. And once I got through with that, I will never forget when we got married in October. And then I took a class preparing me for the boards for the NCLEX. And I took it the month after we got married in November. And it was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. But I passed boards the first time and I just cried. I just cried and cried and cried. And I look back now, it was hard. It was hard. It was so much fun. Pairing the fun of Tennessee with how challenging the schooling is and was, that was really hard to balance. And it was really the first time in my life I had to do that and do it for the most part, on my own. But I was really proud of myself once I got out. And I I look back now and do have good memories, but I also have (laughs) terrible memories of pulling all-nighters and pharmacology, the the library. Yes, pharmacology. (laughs) But I'm so glad that I did it. And I use that background doing what we do at Love One, which is the organization that I'm on the board of in Uganda. And we take care of malnourished babies in Uganda. And so... I get to use that. And being a mom of four, I feel like you can kind of become a nurse over time just being a mother of a bunch of children. But it taught me work ethic. And sometimes the things that are fun, you have to tell yourself no. You've got to be disciplined. I never told myself no in college. That's why me and college did not get along. (laughs) Well, Thomas, you didn't go to Georgia, but you've done a lot with the school. You did a hype video for them that you narrated a couple of years ago. So I'm guessing you've probably gotten to know the school and some of the people there pretty well. What are some things that you admire about the culture at Georgia? I think one of the coolest things I've ever done in my life was, I remember in 2012, my first big tour as a young kid. I was the opener, so technically, I was the first artist (laughs) to ever play Sanford Stadium. But I remember being there that day and just being in that environment, a place that I'd been to so many football games at, and then getting to take the stage that day. To this day is one of my favorite memories of being on that campus. It's a cool atmosphere. I haven't finished school, but one day when I'm not on the road, I think it'd be so cool to either go back to Georgia or go back to Tennessee and finish out one more year. Because I only have like 25 hours of school left. 
So if Lauren is down for that, I might go finish it at UGA. If I get accepted. <laughs> I think now schools are actually offering experience credit. Have you heard of this? No. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Because Do you I, get I, credit for touring and, and having 20 number one hits? Yeah. Well, one of my best buddies played uh, baseball at Lipscomb where I went to school and then went and played 13 years of professional baseball. And we went to his retirement thing honoring Lipscomb Hall of Fame. I was talking to some of the guys on the staff there and I was like, I want to finish. And he was like, you know, you can get experience credit now. I'm like, I'm here for that. You know, because I was a communications major and I've done nothing but communicate to a mass group of people for 10 years. So this is a shout out to UGA. If you want to give me 20 hours of experience credit, I'll write you a thesis. All right. We'll, we'll do the thesis. Well, I have a feeling somebody at uh, UGA might pick up on this uh, podcast. <laughs> I want to talk about music for a second. You've written quite a few songs about Lauren yeah. and Die a Happy Man. Mm-hmm. Life changes. But I want to ask you about a more recent one called Angels Don't Always Have Wings. What was on your mind when you wrote that song? I'm pretty sure I read something along that quote in a book that I was reading. You've heard the quote that you never know when you're talking to an angel, you know? I remember going in to write that song. um, Obviously, had Lauren on my brain. And I look back at the 10 years we've been married and really the 25 years we've known each other. She has always been the rock, always been so solid. Even when I was having a couple hits and being asked to go on the road with all these people and being gone 300 days a year and and bringing her along with me to ride a bus full of nine terrible smelling band guys. I mean, Lauren's been through the ringer with me (laughs) in the van days, the bus days, and now today's days. And she's always taken my life as a champ. And I say this a lot before I play the song live. And I look at Lauren sometimes and I do truly wonder Every now and then, if her body is completely just taken over by an angel, because it takes a lot of patience to be married to somebody like me. I think I'm getting better. Do you really say that? I say it every (laughs) night. You should come to a show sometime. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, honey, that's so sweet. Yeah. But I think that song has resonated with a lot of people, because I think whether it's your spouse or it could also be a brother, it could be a sister, it could be a best friend, you know, somebody that's kind of been for you regardless of the state that you're in. That's kind of where that song came from. You should have slammed the door, changed the lock, and said adios to my selfish heart, to rid apart, and left me alone. Don't know why you were patient and wasted good saving on me. Many angels don't always say. Well, Lauren, you've been a volunteer in a lot of ways, and you've raised quite a bit of money for Love One International. Tell me a little bit about that organization and why it's meaningful to you. Outside of my family and Jesus, it is my passion. We're in our fifth year now, and Love One has grown exponentially every single year, and this is by far our biggest. We are based in Uganda, and our oldest is actually from Uganda, Willa Gray. She's seven. And so I think being a part of Love One means so much, even without looking at my personal family. But having a child that has come from that country, and that is her history and background, and her biological family somewhere is rooted in that country. It's so 
hard to look at those little children's faces and not see her face. So one of my very best friends, Suzanne Marinick, is the founder. And she also has a daughter from Uganda. And she pledged to herself as she was adopting her daughter, who was very, very, very sick at the time. She said, if I ever get her out of this country and we get back home, I'm going to go back there and take care of as many children as I can that are just like Josie. And so loved one exists to care for malnourished children, whatever that looks like. Obviously, nutrition is a big part of that. Medicine is a big part of that. Their home life is a big part of that. Educating their parents or their jajas or aunties or whoever is caring for them. The educational piece is huge. But we have a center where we bring children in and rehabilitate them. And then the goal is to get them home with their families once their home is ready for them, meaning it's safe. Their caretakers are there. They are educated and ready to continue caring for the child in whatever capacity they need. And since we were in our fifth year, we're able to have some of those children who were early on at Love One and now back home with their families and to see them now just healthy and happy. And some of them are just chunky and plump. And you're like, oh my word, you're just a little slice of heaven and just so healthy and happy. And then you see these moms that take such pride in loving their kids well and having the education and the tools that they need to keep going. And then they have more babies. And then when they bring those babies, those babies are healthy. And so it's just incredible watching these families learn and go back to their villages, whether it's 30 minutes down the road or seven hours away it's starting to spread little bit by little bit all over the country of Uganda into all different districts and villages. But we are (laughs) busier than ever. And right now we're in the middle of building a bigger center because we are just maxed out. And in COVID, they weren't able to go out and make contact with a lot of people. You know, only emergency services were allowed to go out and be with people face to face. But they eventually said that Love One qualified as one of those services. So we started going out to the villages and bringing food and doing what we call now is our home-based care. And so we've got children in our center, but then we also have nutritionists, doctors, nurses going out and volunteering all over the country of Uganda and caring for children that way. And of course, if some need to go to a hospital, we figure that out. I just got back from a trip not too long ago and It was overwhelming how incredible our loved one staff is and how much pride they take in their jobs and how well they love these children and the communities. And it is just one of the greatest honors on this earth that I get to be a small part of that. And fundraising over here is what funds this machine along with a lot of support and prayer. We have our fundraiser actually out here every year. And it's just so cool to get to be a part of and something that just makes my heart so full and happy. And my kids get to see and be a part of it. And we're hoping that we get to take them really soon to get to see what all we've got going on. It's incredible. Well, the nurse in you must be very proud of that work. (laughs) My heart is beyond full, for sure. And I do feel like however the Lord created my spirit, 
he has allowed me to truly step into every bit of my passion. And I'm just very grateful for that. Well, I just have one more question for y'all. Thomas Rudd, I'll start with you. Yeah. Uh, what does it mean to you to be Southern? Wow. Never been asked that question before. <laughs> what does it mean to be Southern? Lauren, do you want to start so I can think? Yeah, I can start. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Okay. I tell my kids we have one job on this earth, and it is to love people well. And I do think the South does that well. I like to think that when people think of being Southern, they think of hospitality and kindness and generosity and hopefully that the South loves people well. But at the root of loving people well in our family, faith is number one. And the biggest part of our faith is loving people well and loving the way Jesus did. And I also think that faith is a huge part of the South and something that I'm so proud of and so grateful that I was raised here and we're still here and now we're raising our own kids. And it's just fun. It's fun being Southern. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I'll ditto one thing. You've heard Southern hospitality your whole life. I've been all over the country and now kind of all over the world playing shows in the UK and Australia and up in Canada and but I remember this one woman that I met, she was like, y'all are just so kind. And I was like, man, I hope that everybody thinks that. I think that our family does. We take pride in treating people well, treating people with love. And that's just how I was raised. That's how my parents were raised. That's how their parents were raised. And I don't think it's only dictated to the South, but there is a form of Southern charm and Southern hospitality that comes from these states. So I'm proud to be from here. Well, Thomas, Rhett, and Lauren Akins, thank y'all for being on Biscuits and Jam. Yes, thank sir. Thank you for having us. Thank you, man. It's so fun. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Thomas Rhett and Lauren Akins. Southern Living is based in Birmingham, Alabama. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And we'd love your feedback. If you could rate this podcast and leave us a review, preferably a nice one, we'd really appreciate it. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuitsandjam. Our theme song is by Sean Watkins of Nickel Creek. I hope you'll join us next week for my conversation with model and designer Camilla Alves McConaughey, who recently stopped by our offices in Birmingham. We'll see you then. Mm -hmm.